0: The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? Then many of his disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you here who do not believe. As a result of this, Many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Then he said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, who would betray him. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's be seated. Lord, with your permission. What I'm about to say to you tonight is one of the most important things I've ever said in my life. When it comes to talking about the Eucharist and conversion and confession, there is nothing more important to talk about on the face of the earth. Not your life, not my life, not your family, not your friends, not your country, not where you've been, not who you are, not how much money you make, what your work is, nothing Is more important than what I am about to say. I thought you'd be a little bit more excited. In the three Gospels, the Synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we hear the institution narratives where Jesus said, This is my body, take and eat, this is my blood of the new covenant, drink, do this in memory of me. But John doesn't have that narrative. Instead, John gives a whole chapter to explain the Eucharist. Chapter 6. In John's gospel today, he is as clear as he can be. If you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. That's insane. It's so insane that people freaked out. I mean, they said, "How can this man give us his flesh to eat?" It's almost as if they're saying, "Jesus, really, clear this up for us. You can't really mean this." And so he says, "Okay, let me clear it up. What I meant to say is, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you." Now, see, we we don't see it in the English, but in the Greek, he changes a word. He uses the Greek word for to eat. When he says to eat in the first sense, he means as we eat food. But when they ask him to clarify, surely, Jesus, you don't mean to actually eat your flesh. He changes the word to eat from eating food to a word that is used for animals when they tear flesh off a bone. What's he doing? He's intensifying his language. You want me to clear it up? I'll clear it up. It is indeed my flesh. Everybody says, well, Jesus, you must have meant it symbolically. So many of our brother Christians in separate faiths say that he meant it symbolically, but how can you possibly say that if you listen to the next line of the gospel? It says the people said, this is a hard saying to accept. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus meant that we were to eat his flesh and drink his blood symbolically. Is that hard to accept? No. That's not hard to accept. Jesus said he was a gate. He meant it symbolically. He said he was a vine. He meant it symbolically. And nobody said anything when he said those. But when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they say, surely, he can't mean this. This is too hard to accept. the only reason people would have said it was hard is if he really meant it. And it says, because of this, many of his disciples left him and returned to their former way of life. I always find it interesting, maybe you know this, but the citation of that scripture passage is John 6, 66, when they leave the Eucharist. And again, to to help us understand this just a bit more, I think we have to understand what a disciple was in the ancient world. Disciples were not people that just said, hey, this is a good speaker. Like, I wouldn't call you my disciples (laughs) just because you're here to listen to me. Disciples in the ancient world were those that left everything to follow the teacher. They said at the end of the day, you should be covered in the dust of the rabbi. You were following him so closely. These people, after hearing this saying, walked away. You're trying to tell me that people left everything to follow Jesus and returned to their former way of life because he said the Eucharist was a symbol. No, they left him because it was too much. And as they're walking away, it's not like Jesus is like, hey, time out. I was just kidding. I meant it as a symbol. He let them walk. He let them walk. And after that, he turns to his apostles and he says, all right, fellas, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave too? Because if you don't believe that the Eucharist will be my flesh and blood, there's the door. And at that moment, the whole church is hanging in a balance with those original 12. Two things happen in this moment a confession of the true presence and a denial of the true presence. And both happen within the company of the apostles. I love Simon Peter, I love him. I think he's the most lovable character in maybe all of Scripture. Because he loves the Lord so much, but he makes so many mistakes. But it doesn't stop him. He's a wonderful, wonderful image for us. And his answer is this, Lord, to whom shall we go? We've come to know and believe that you're the Son of God. You have the words of eternal life. Let me translate that for you, what Peter's really saying. He's saying, I think, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't eat my flesh, drink my blood, I don't know but I know this I know and I believe with all my being that you're God and if you say it's your flesh and your blood that that's enough for me Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life St. Thomas Aquinas says that if truth does not speak truly then nothing is true Jesus can't lie because he's God. And Peter acknowledges that even though he doesn't understand it completely, he will trust. He will take him seriously at his word. It's amazing to me that people think all the miracles of Jesus happened except the Eucharist. So many Christians believe that every other aspect of his life is true, even the resurrection. When Jesus said to the blind man, see, what happens? He sees. When the Lord Jesus is walking on the water in the midst of the storm and the disciples are crying out and he says, Quiet! It's quiet. And he says to a dead man in a tomb, Come out! He comes out. Why is it that when Jesus holds up a piece of bread and says this is my body. People say no. He had the ability to affect, affect nature. Why can't he change bread into flesh? I just recently read a study it said that only 27% of Catholics truly believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. And we wonder why we've lost our power as a church. 75% of our faithful don't believe the most important thing. Imagine a football team where only 25% of the people played. Better yet, 75% of the people just didn't pay attention to the rules of the game. They'd be a horrible team. We're divided. It takes around 40 to 50 million people to elect a president There's 60 million Catholics in America. What's the problem? Maybe it's because only 27% of us believe in the most important aspect of our faith. Maybe it's because people don't feel anything when they receive the Eucharist. Maybe that's why the 75% don't believe. Me as a priest, and I'm sure my brother priest can attest to this, like people are always saying, you know, I, I feel more. And I hear the bands and the big speakers, and when I'm in adoration. I don't feel anything. Jesus said, it's him. Isn't that enough? You know, I think that sometimes when we think about the Lord Jesus, maybe we get the wrong interpretation impression of him that like maybe as he was walking down the road a light was shining upon him like you know as he walked and everybody was just flocking to him and he bathed in the the grace-filled light of the father and as he touched people they just fell over one of my favorite scenes is the baptism i remember as a little kid i always remember when the lord went down into the water and as he comes up it says the sky was rent in two And the dove flew down and alighted upon the sun, and you heard the father's voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All I could picture was that everybody else was just like, oh. But if you read the gospel, it says he went down into the water, and when he came up, he saw the sky rent in two. He heard the voice of the father. To our knowledge, all the scripture reveals is that Jesus and John the Baptist were the only ones that knew what was going on. To everybody else, he looked like another man going down to the muddy waters of the Jordan, coming up and walking away. He was a pretty normal guy in some aspects, but he was also a bit crazy. Lord, lunatic, and liar, C.S. Lewis says pick one. He's either Lord, or he's crazy, or he's the greatest liar to ever walk the face of the earth. He can't be all of them. Maybe 75% don't believe because the Eucharist doesn't change us more. We receive it daily, some of us. Why doesn't it change me more if that's God? I think it's because we don't really understand its power. We don't understand it, and we don't always seek to further understand it. There's a story of St. Teresa of Avila. She was on trial because of her great visions, one of the greatest mystics of the Catholic Church. And as they were coming down upon her and saying, how could you possibly be seeing these things? They're too incredible. They're too fantastic. She looked at them and said, my God, forgive you. You worry so much about my visions and yet you receive the Eucharist as if it was nothing. My visions are nothing compared to the Eucharist. When we receive from the priest, when the priest says, the body of Christ, I almost wish maybe we would change that and the priest would just say, God, 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 and we would say, Amen. What does amen amen mean? It means, I believe. Stronger than that, though. I stake my life on that. If it's not so, let me be dead. Is that what goes on in your heart when you receive the Eucharist? Do you really believe to that extent? And with that amen, you are not saying amen just to the Eucharist. You are saying amen to every aspect of the Catholic Church. If we believed to that extent and followed everything that the Church teaches, I promise we would change. We would all be on the same page. But unfortunately, we don't all believe. So many, when they come to Mass, they say, Amen, but I'm okay with contraception. Amen, but I'm okay with gay marriage. Amen, but I don't need to go to confession. Amen, and whatever We're not all in as I said the first night Imagine if 75% of the Catholic Church was all in How can Jesus change our hearts If we don't want him in his totality I had the opportunity to go to Africa and uh, at one point, we, w- we would drive all over the place, and we'd do Sunday Masses, and we had to do sometimes eight to ten Sunday Masses. It took all day. And I remember the last time, the last place we were going, as we pulled up, we were three hours late. Three hours. Now, I just want you to imagine if Father Jay was three hours late for Sunday mass. How full would this church be? When we pulled up, I looked at the priest and I said, why are we even going here? Nobody's going to be here. And he looked at me and he said, just wait. And as we walked into this little Quonset area that doesn't even look like the grandeurs of these churches in America, it was so full We couldn't get in. And I was carrying the Eucharist in the tabernacle. And as soon as I entered, everybody started cheering. Some had walked 15 miles to come to Mass. That's all in. That's all in. Do we desire Him that deeply? because to not to not love him deeply in the eucharist is to leave him this is everything for us it's one of the greatest gifts we have and a question i would ask is how much time do you spend with him in the eucharist how much time To leave the Eucharist is to leave the Lord. To not believe in the Eucharist is to not believe in the Lord. This is why Judas left him. Some people think that Judas left him or betrayed him because of greed, because of money. Modern scripture scholarship, which isn't worth much, says this. The argument is is that just before... A little bit before Jesus went to the cross, he had a a dinner at Simon's house, the Pharisee. And it happened that as he was sitting there, a woman walked in of ill repute. And as she walked in and knelt down at Jesus' feet and began to weep over them, Simon says if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. My question is, is how does Simon know what kind of woman that is? And she takes a vial of perfume, breaks it, and doesn't just give a little. Because true love knows no limits. She dumps the whole thing out. And this wasn't any ordinary perfume. We know how much this perfume cost. 300 days' wages. That's around $20,000. What is that telling us? It tells us that Mary, traditionally Mary Magdalene, took all of her money that she had made from her dreadful work, bought this perfume and gave it to the Lord to say, I don't ever want to go back to that. I want to love you. And Judas can't stand it. He says, why this waste? Interestingly enough, the word he uses for waste is the same word that we can use for perdition. Remember that Jesus calls him the son of perdition. He wasted it all. He said this could have been sold. This money could have been given to the poor. There will always be those who protest about giving anything to glorify God, to build a great church, to buy a beautiful monstrance, a beautiful chalice to hold his blood. What a waste, they will say. It should have been given to the poor. And the most frustrating thing is that most of the time these people don't give anything to the poor themselves. They don't know that there's more types of poverty than just material poverty. There's spiritual poverty. Let's modernize it a little bit. What's Judas really saying to Jesus? He's saying, I heard you. I heard you on the Mount of Beatitudes talking about the poor. Why don't you love the poor now? Dining with a rich man. I've never seen you protest against the Sanhedrin or the money of the temple. Where's your love for social justice? Where's your concern for the poor? Sounds like a modern Christian, focused on politics, economy, and their job, their pursuits, but in the midst, they've forgotten the Lord. We can say the reason people think Judas fell is because of money, but I don't think that's the real reason. Mainly because people are rich and don't leave the church. You can be wealthy and still be a Catholic. The key to understanding the whole thing is starting to understand where Judas first fell away. When did the break begin? It was at the exact same moment that Peter said, where else shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. It's the announcement of the Eucharist. It's right at that moment, right at that moment where Jesus says, after Peter's confession, did I not choose you twelve, yet one of you is a devil. Judas is already, already breaking. His heart can't accept the Eucharist. It's too much. He's already losing his faith. So that's where the break begins. Where does it end? At the Last Supper. First where Jesus mentions the Eucharist, it begins. When he institutes it, it ends. Judas traditionally is held that it was at Jesus's left. The left in those days was a seat of honor. To the right would have been John, who reclined against his chest, and next to him would have been Peter. Because Peter talks to John, saying, Ask Jesus. Jesus says, At the Last Supper, one of you will betray me. Ten say, Is it I, Lord? One said, Who is it, Lord? And one said, Surely it is not I, Master. Judas doesn't know him. The other disciples do. Kurios, Lord, God. Judas calls him master. He's just a teacher. It's because Judas didn't pray. And then Jesus turns to Judas and toasts him with the Eucharist. Gives him his own flesh and blood. And Judas takes it just as a piece of bread. Think how many people in our pews receive the Blessed Sacrament just as a piece of bread. They don't know what they're receiving. They don't know who he is. They receive what they think is of no real significance. They head back into the world for their own pursuits without ever being affected by the graces of that sacrament. It was amazing when I was a chaplain at a high school we used to have so many masses. And us three chaplains of our three high schools got together and he said, you know what? We're not gonna have as many masses, we're gonna have more penance services. All three schools turned around. Seventy-five percent of our vocations are coming out of our high schools. Because they pray. Because they ask forgiveness. Because they know him. Then Jesus turns to Judas and says, What you're about to do, do quickly. There is no more saving him now. He tried. Even to the last moment, he put him in the place of honor. He wanted Judas to be an apostle. But he became a traitor. And he looks him straight in the face, takes the Eucharist, and leaves. Again, how many with sin on their soul look right at the priest and say, Amen? How many priests celebrate the Mass with no reverence, with no love for Jesus in the sacrament, concerned with social justice or the economy or politics, without ever realizing that the priesthood is about those things, in the sacraments. And then we hear maybe the most troubling words in all of Scripture. He went out, and it was night. It's always night when you leave Jesus. So why do we leave? Why do our family and friends leave Why did Judas leave? It's because we lose faith. We can give a thousand other reasons, but this is the true one. The church is too rich. The church doesn't love women. The church is full of scandal. The church isn't this or that. The church isn't modern enough. It's not progressive enough. These are not the reasons. Somewhere we stopped praying. We walked away from confession, we dropped the rosary, we gave up prayer in the chapel or at home, put our faith on cruise control, and begrudgingly settled for mediocrity as we pursued the things of this world. That's the biblical story of why we fail. And just as there was a predictability about Judas, so there will be with all of us. One can easily tell when there will be a defection from our Lord. It's when we leave the Eucharist. It's when that isn't the source and summit of everything we believe. Do you desire Jesus in the Eucharist? Do you want to know him, to love him, to receive him? You know, and I think some of us say, come on, Judas. You were with him. You saw all the miracles. You saw people raised from the dead. You saw him walk on water. How could you betray him? But Judas never saw him risen from the dead. We know him risen from the dead and yet we still turn away from him. Judas got lost in the lie that this life was about him. His life is not about you, it's not about me, it's about him. Choosing him in every moment, in every aspect of your life, and spending time with him, wasting your life with him, so that you can be with him forever because in the end of this world nothing else is really going to matter do you know him the sooner the ego dies is the sooner we will begin to truly live one of the greatest ways to kill our ego is to spend time with him in the blessed sacrament because all of us have pursuits all of us have things that we could be doing to give him a half-hour every day has to give him our time and not the worst part of our day to give him the best part of our day because the more we live out of the ego the more hell becomes a reality in our lives you know what i think the real tragedy of judas's life is I think that Jesus not only called him to be an apostle, I think he called him to be the greatest apostle. Could you imagine the power that Judas would have had if he would have asked forgiveness? Peter and Judas evangelizing the world together. You think you're bad. (laughs) I betrayed him. And he forgave me. Nothing is beyond the Lord. Nothing. He was meant to be Saint Judas. So what will your choice be? Not just tonight. Because I believe that all of you here are faith-filled, loving Catholics. I do. And as I said in the first talk, I would never say this to you in order to Degrade you or come down upon you. I say this to encourage you to go further To take the next step in your faith the one that you're afraid of and Then to take that step for the rest of your life Tonight we all have a choice to begin anew To start again to receive mercy all of which was offered to Judas Yet he still walked away. Will you seek the Lord and his mercy? Will you turn back with all your heart to the Eucharist and confession? In those places that you have trouble believing, will you beg the Lord to increase your faith there? And even if you don't understand it, do you have the humility that Peter did to simply say, Jesus, I don't get it, but you're God, and that's enough. I will trust you and trust that you will reveal to me the truth that I have yet to understand. Will you do these things? Or will you walk out those doors tonight and return to your former way of life? God has given you much. He just wants your heart. And not part of it. He wants all of it. But you have to make the choice.